up until I was 11, I lived in New Jersey, and my dad was a financial analyst in Wall Street, and he made a lot of money. And so we lived in the suburbs of New Jersey, uh, not like Jersey Shore, like you see on, uh, the, but the, it was the suburbs of New Jersey, and we lived in the, in the woods, and our houses were separated, you know, a lot of land, we had a ton of land. Um, and, uh, and so I would take, I would ride my bike to another part of our, it was a wealthy community, but there was even a wealthier community, uh, and I'd ride my bike uh, down the street, and I'd get to these houses that had gates in front of the houses. And I would sit, and I'd look at these gates. I still remember, I, in my mind, I can visualize all the houses, and I want, I'd sit and I'd wonder, what happens behind those gates? They were like magical to me. I, I knew their food was better. I knew that families were happier behind the gates. I knew that they had more, better things than I did behind the gates. The gates made, it just, it, it, they, they just intrigued me. And so I'd ride around, and there were different houses with different gates. Some had the ones that come up like this with the em- emblem of, you know, MJ or whatever. Hey, maybe it was Michael Jackson. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it just had all, all, all these different kinds of gates. Some, you know, would slide over. Some would open up like this. But I loved, I loved those gates. Well, my dad was an alcoholic, and so he ended up losing uh, all that money. And, uh, and God got a hold of his heart, and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And so God healed him of the alcohol and healed him of the smoking and over time healed him of the cussing. And uh, that took longer than the drinking and the, and the smoking. Who knew? Uh, anyway, but uh, God healed him of all that and called him to full-time ministry. And some of you know this story already. But, uh, and so we moved to California and we went from a, like a 3,500 square foot beautiful house on a whole bunch of property to an 800 square foot house in a really bad part of Pasadena. And, and so it was multi-ethnic, a lot of ethnic tension in the area. We had a gang house right next door to us, and they'd throw beer bottles on our lawn and stuff. And uh, my dad would go out there and talk to him, and I thought he was going to get shot. And, and, the, and the gang member, the head gang member in that house did get shot. It was just a crazy neighborhood to go from New Jersey, the suburbs, very nice, to Pasadena. But because we were in Pasadena, we weren't that far away from these houses in the foothills that I'd ride my bike to and I'd sit outside their front gate until security came. But I'd, I'd go and I'd watch these gates and for some reason, the gates have always intrigued me. And sometimes the gates would open and a car would go out with smoked windows and I thought, that family must be so happy and must be, everything must be going great behind the gates because there's gates. Why would you put gates? Why would you hold me back from, unless there was something magical back there, there were gates. Well, as I got older uh, and I met um, people who lived behind gates uh, and I started to kind of read more, I realized that the people behind gates have no different life than you or I do, um, but it's just different. But here's my point for this morning. You can write this down on your, on your thing because it's going to, you're going to want to stone me when you first hear this because it's not going to make any sense to you, but it will as we go go along. The good life is behind the gates. The good life is behind the gates. Now you say that smacks in the face of everything we know about scripture. I mean, are you trying to say that if you have more things, it's better? Are you trying, well, all, all gates do is provide privacy, security, and opportunity. If you're behind the gates, it's privacy and security, and then they open up for you to have your opportunity, then you go back for privacy and security. Well, Nehemiah spent a lot of time rebuilding 
the gates of Jerusalem. And those are the gates I'm going to be talking about this morning. Nehemiah uh, is a story about a guy who is in about 445 BC. He was a cupbearer to the king of Persia. And he found out that Jerusalem's wall and their uh, was destroyed and the gates had been burned by fire. There was nothing protecting Jerusalem. And you have to understand, for a Hebrew, uh, for uh, an Israelite, Jerusalem is it. It's, it's the city. I mean, it's, it's, it's God's vision for Jerusalem was that it would be a city that people would come to from all the countries around and look and see what a great God they served because they followed uh, the principles that were in the scripture for them. And so by following the principles of the scripture, they were, they were taking care of each other. They were doing all this. The land was blessed. They were blessed. And then people would look and they go, man, that's the, what God do you serve? We want to serve that God. It was all to bring glory to God. And we're in a series right now called Under Construction. And it's the same idea that God has a plan and a vision for your life. And the idea is that we would open up the scriptures, apply the scriptures to our life, and then our life would be different than those around us. And they wouldn't say, how great are you? They'd say, what God do you serve where you can go through those types of things? It's not a magic pill. It's not a happy life all the way around. It's that when we go through life, and we're all going to go through life, we will be able to handle things in a way that glorifies God. That's the vision. And the reason we call it under construction is that all of us in some way or another are falling short of what God would have for us. And maybe you're here and you're just like, dude, I don't even buy the whole Bible thing. I don't, not the whole God thing I don't even know about. I'm just here because somebody dragged me here. That might be you, but here's what I know about you. There are areas in your life where you look and you go, you know what? It can be better. And I believe that God has put that into you. We have been created in his image, and we fall short of that image. So there's something that stirs in all of us, whether we, uh, whether we believe in God or not, that says, you know what? Life could be better. We're all, in some way or another, under construction. So Nehemiah um, got some, uh, uh, the king allowed him to leave, and he was able to go out and rebuild the wall. And so what we've been talking about is how this process has been going on. And in this chapter we're going to be talking about, chapter 3, it's all about work. It's all about getting things done efficiently and effectively. That is chapter 3. And what you read in chapter 3 are all these gates. I want to show you kind of a picture of Jerusalem uh, right here. And it shows you where all the gates are. And uh, we're all Hebrew now because we're it, we're in uh, 445 B.C. Uh, uh, in Jerusalem, so we're reading from uh, right to left. So it goes, and if you see in the scriptures, you can see chapter 3, verse 1, talks about the sheep gate, then the fish gate, and the old gate, and the valley gate, and the dung gate, and then the, the fountain gate, and then uh, Richard Nixon went through here, water gate, uh, uh, horse gate, east gate, and inspection gate. Now here's the thing. To the Hebrew mind, we, we kind of have to put ourselves here, these gates all mean something. And if we fast forward to the New Testament, I've read a lot of commentators and a lot of pastors and who try to apply this kind of stuff to us now. And the way they do it is by saying the sheep gate is where the sacrificial lambs were brought in for the temple. And that is exactly true. And so we start with salvation. We start with, if we're going to have this relationship with God, if our relationship, uh, if our life is going to look like it should, 
if we're under construction, we have to start with how are we going to atone for our sin? If we're going to have this relationship with God, how do we approach him? Well, we do it through the sheep gate. The sheep were brought in and they were uh, sacrificed and atoned for our sin. And then God, after he saves us, he calls us to be fishers of men. The fish gate was where all the fish merchants brought in because you want all the fish going through one gate so that it kind of keeps the stink in one section. But he calls us to be fishers of men. And then as we do that, and as we embark on this relationship with God, we have the old gate, which is the word of God, the truths that never end. And so we live our life according to that. But just by living our lives according to that doesn't keep us safe. We go through the valley gate, and the Psalms talks about that. that Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Now to get out of the valley gate, there's a bunch of things that happen. Sometimes we try to get out with our own righteousness. But the Bible says pretty clearly, Paul says, that's dung. That's that's another word he uses that translates differently, but we'll use dung. Uh, and, And you can't get out of the valley by yourself. It has to be through the fountain gate, through what Christ can do by renewing our spirit. And then the water gate, again, is a reference to the word. The horse gate shows we're warriors. The east gate is how the Messiah is going to come in in the final days. He'll go through the east gate of uh, Jerusalem. And then the inspection gate is, uh, is uh, when we're inspected before God to see if we, in fact, have a relationship with him. Many, many, many people ascribe that New Testament translation to these Old Testament gates. And here's the thing. I don't know if they apply or not. But here's, here's what I want us to get. The good life is behind the gates. Our spiritual life is not to be spent repairing the wall for our entire lives. Our, we are to repair these gates efficiently and effectively so that we can live life in the city that God has. God has a plan for us, and it's not to spend all our time in sin management at each one of these gates trying to get over this and get over this and get over this and get over this. Here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter 7. It says this, Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not built. So my God put it on my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. Here's what Nehemiah is saying. He came to rebuild the wall, but why was he rebuilding the wall? It's so that the people could live in the city. And when we look at the different areas of our lives and we see, like, when I'm about ready to hang this gate on there, I want to be done with it so that I can go and live my life. I'll give you an example. All of us have a gate called sexuality, okay? All of us do. And the wall represents godly principles that do not move. And so as we live our lives with godly principles, at some point we hang our sexuality between the rock-solid pillars of the Word of God. And so the sexuality gate is you hang it, it's there. When your spouse comes and you find out who they are, you open the gate, you let your spouse in, you close the gate, and then you go live life. The good life happens behind the gate. And what we do is we have it on one of those, you ever gone to a saloon? And you open and the gate, you know, the the things flap back and forth. It seems like we've made the sexuality gate, like, just come on. You know, it's basically closed, but, you know, if I want to get out or come in, you know, it's just kind of bust right through. That's what we've done with our sexuality. But see, purity is the path to intimacy, and that's what God is interested in. 
God is interested in, in this relationship, this intimate relationship that can be experienced by no other two human beings except a man and a, a husband and a wife. And so what he does is he sets, he takes the word of God and he creates this, this wall. And then he puts the sexuality gate there and says, here are the two hinges of the sexuality gate. You're going to wait until you're married, and then once you're married, you're going to keep the gate closed, and all your fun's going to happen on the other side of the gate. The good life is behind the gates. God has given us financial principles in our lives about living within our means and not caring so much about materialism and all these types of things. So we, we, we build this wall with, with, with biblical truths of how we're supposed to handle our finances and how, what type of heart we're supposed to have in giving. And then we hang our finances on that. And all the gates do is provide privacy, security, and opportunity. So we go out that gate, we work, we get our money, we bring it back in to live within our means. But where to live, the good life happens behind the gates once those gates are secure. Or maybe it's self-control. Maybe you have some self-control issues. God doesn't want us just dealing with the same thing over and over and over and over again. He wants us to hang that self-control. Self-control is the path to freedom. If you can control yourself, there's a lot of things you can partake in. The problem is, when we can't control ourselves, then they become a god to us, whether it be food or alcohol or whatever, or, or leisure. You know, if we can't handle the self-control, then that gate goes down and there's just a path, pathway and we run out of control. And now there's no privacy, security, or opportunity. It's just wide open. And so these gates uh, are, are to, hang, to hang there. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe you've had kids, and now you've got this gate. You're supposed to raise these kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and you are obsessed with them. Every little thing, you're at the gate, and you're forgetting to live. You're forgetting that the good life happens behind the gate. We could, what happens is we obsess over our kids all the time, over and over and over, and then they leave, and we stand by the gate going, oh, I just wasted an entire life. Instead of trying to get them to realize, look, a life with God, a life that has a relationship with Jesus Christ is a life that's full and fun and, and rich, but it happens in the city. I don't know if you, you didn't, you don't have to put it back up there, but did, did you see the city of Jerusalem? Did you see what was in the center? The temple. See, the gates go up and the wall is built so that we can have a life that's full and rich and full of worship and full of, of God directing us. Oftentimes, what happens in my own life is I get so obsessed with a gate that where's my back? It's turned to God. And he's going, I want you to be done with that. I want you to turn around and start living a life with me. I'll tell you where this happens a lot for pastors. Everybody should have a ministry gate, a part of your life where you're serving. Um, uh, if, if you attend church here and you come and you sit and you worship a little bit and hear the word and leave, uh, that's, not what, that's not the best spiritual life. Your job is to serve and not at Living Spring. You don't have to come and like pay for what you get. You serve somewhere, but you should have a ministry, whether it's at a homeless shelter or with your neighbors or whatever, get a ministry. Pastors obsess over their ministry gate. Lisa and I were talking about this just yesterday. I can tell you every plank in my ministry gate. I can tell you which ones are weak. I can tell you what all the little things, because I, I get obsessed about ministry. Now, that's unhealthy as a pastor if I don't ever experience the joy of life 
in ministry. Do you see that? I don't know if this makes any sense, but this point has been haunting me all week long, so I'm still drilling it home right now, is that you get so obsessed with whatever it is. For men, sometimes it's your sexuality. Can I look at this? Can I look at You're so close to the gate all the time. Oh, I don't want to do this, and I got to get accountability, and I got to do this, 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 that we forget. The work should be done with the intimacy at home, not so much the sin management by the wall. If we took a lot of our effort in trying to be pure at the gate and we put it back with our wives, a lot of our sexual problems would be solved. Okay. So how do we do that? I want to give you just a couple um, uh, things that we can do to kind of build those walls Effi- uh, um, effectively and efficiently. That's, that's the goal, is to get those walls up and those gates up uh, as quickly as possible so that we can be as healthy as possible, so that we can live the life God wants us to live instead of focusing on our sin uh, all, all the time. Okay? Uh, the first is rebuilding begins at home. Rebuilding begins at home. We have to take a long, hard look at the wall and the gate that's right outside our home. If my home is filled with anger, that is something I have to be working on. If there's a lack of discipline in my home, that's something I need to be working on at my home. My job isn't to look at anyone else's gate or anyone else's wall. It starts at home. Let me, let me just give you an idea, kind of two pictures of, of where we're going with this. The first is a city like Jerusalem, and I'll read it again. Now, the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not built. What good is a wall around an empty city? Now that's, when you have a wall that's perfect and nothing inside, that's called legalism. That means you've worked so hard on the wall and you've gotten all your doctrine in place and all your things, systems in place and you're going around the wall and you're dusting and painting and trimming and getting everything. You're all, everything's about the wall and you look back and you have no life. You haven't impacted anybody. There's no joy. Uh, Jesus calls that legalism. And that's the way the Pharisees were. The way Jesus described it to the Pharisees was, uh, you, you clean the outside of the cup, and it looks great, but inside is gross. And the inside of the cup's the thing that's the most important because that, that's what holds what's most important. And same with, with our lives. What, what our relationship with God, the temple, life in family, these relationships we have in the city, those are our biggest uh, things. So that's, a, that's, a life, that's legalism when there's secure gates and a great wall and nothing inside. Other lives look like secularism. And that's a ton of life in the city. I mean, it is party time. The lights are on all the time. There's hooting and hollering and everything. But there's no walls and no, no gates. And so that's secularism. And over time, it doesn't, it's just a matter of time when the enemy's going to just come waltzing in and devastate that city. Not just come in and go, hey, how's it going? I want to join the party. You will be devastated with no wall of the word and no gates of these areas of our life hung on the word. The enemy will come in and wipe you out. And we don't have to look very far to see this many, many, many times in sports, in business, and I mean, you can just see people whose lives on the inside was one big party, but they never set up those boundaries. So uh, a city without uh, gate, uh, uh, secu- with, with secure gates, but no life inside is legalism, and a city with all the life, but no 
gates is secularism. Watch what it says in, in Nehemiah about working in front of your own house. It's really cool. I'm just going to read some of these. They, I didn't put them on the wall behind us, but it says this. Beyond them, Benjamin, we got some pretty weird names. Not Benjamin, but stick with me and you'll see some bizarre ones that maybe we want to use for our next kids. Uh, and Hashab, that, that's one we could use, Hashab. Hashab, get over here. Okay, no. Uh, made repairs in front of their house. And next to them, Azariah and Maseiah, uh, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs each in front of his house. Next to them, Zadok, another one. Zadok, come here. Okay. Uh, son of Emir made repairs opposite his house. Next to them, Meshalem, son of Bakiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. Everybody was in front of their house. Why? Because you're going to build the best wall in front of your own house, right? I mean, if it's, to prote- if it's for privacy, protection, and opportunity, you're, you're going to build the best wall in front of your house. Have you ever tried to build someone else's wall? Well, I know you have because you've tried to build mine sometimes. Uh, some emails. Uh, don't, don't do No, I'm kidding. But have you ever done that where you just like look at someone else's life and you're like, oh man, if I were doing that, I would have done this and this. The Lord does not want us doing that. He wants us operating in front of our own house. What are the issues in front of your house? What are the issues in front of my house? Am I too focused on my career? Is, the, is, is our house just going crazy? Is there too much leisure time? Is there, are we not in the word enough? Am I arguing with my spouse? What is the deal in front of my house? That is the first question God is going to have you answer to. And see, the, the, the thing is, the people who were living there, they just, it was just life. The, the, the walls were destroyed. So they walk out and they go, well, let's just get started. But, but, but uh, to build effectively, you have to build in front of your own house because you're the one who gets to see it every day. You're the one who gets to see the progress. You're the one who, who has the best vantage point on how to proceed. It was cool. Uh, not only did they work in front of their own house, in Nehemiah 7, 3, it says this, I said to them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. And while they're standing guard, let them shut and bolt the doors also appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his post and each in front of his own house. We not only build in front of our own house, we guard in front of our, old, our own house. And let me just, this Father's Day, I don't mean to come on the men, but this is your responsibility as a man. You are responsible for the spiritual well-being of your home, Period. I, I know, but, but, but if you knew how spiritual my wife was, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, you're a partner. She, you, know, you don't just you know, tell her to be quiet, and that would be stupid. Um, but, but you're responsible for it. And so for some of us, I know in my own life, I've gone through many periods where I went out in front of my own house, quote, unquote, and went, I better, this is ridiculous. I am shirking my responsibility as a husband. And so some changes have to be made. And they never go over very well. But, uh, but uh, I'm responsible for it. I'm the spiritual head of my family. And if you're a man and if you're dating, if you're a woman and you're dating, find a man, a young man, who you think is going to be a good spiritual head of your household. Because that's the way, those are the hinges that God has put on the marriage gate. 
Wives, one hinge, be submissive to your husbands. Husbands, lay down your life for your spouse. Those are the two hinges of the marriage gate that are built upon the word of God. And so it's in, in front of our own house. These are the things that we're responsible for, uh, men. So happy Father's Day. Second, uh, <laughs> the, strongest, the strongest walls interlock. The, I can't stress this enough. This is so vitally important, and it's what Cece was talking about, the connection fairy, okay? Imagine I'm in my house, Tony's in his house, and... No. And Artaxerxes is in his house, okay? And so here we are, and I build my wall, and it, it is killer. I got rebar, I got uh, the, those blocks that go on there, and then, and then I finished it off with like a really nice stucco. Maybe, you know, like, I don't know, just a nice green color or whatever, and I've capped it with bricks, uh, you know, used bricks, and it looks really great, and my wall is awesome, and I'm like, hey, how's it going, you know? I don't care how much rebar is on there or whatever, you can push that wall down. It's just sitting by itself. You can push that wall down. And if, if the next guy over has his wall, and it's killer, and it looks awesome, the only way those walls aren't coming down is if they interlock. And so I'm building my wall, and you're building your wall, and we're connecting, you know, on the Legos. If you put Legos, I love Legos. You guys know how much I love Legos. Uh, if you build Legos just in a tower, it doesn't work, but if you let them lay over uh, the other Lego, then there's structure there. And so the idea behind this is that God wants us living our lives and building our wall right next to somebody else building their wall, right next to somebody else building their wall, right next to somebody else building their wall. Because I'm going to get to a part of my wall where there's a rock I can't lift. What do I do? Leave a gap? No. Do I quit? I, I can't do it. No, I get my buddies and I go, help me get this rock up here. And then they come and they put it on and that secures not only my wall, but their wall as well. That is a small group. Is us coming together and building our walls together. The healthiest churches have successful small group ministry. The healthiest because we're all accountable to each other, helping each other build the wall. Uh, different angles. I can look at th this wall down. I go, hey, dude, your wall's not straight. Well, he's working on it like this. He can't see that, but I can. Your wall's not straight. You want to move this over? Okay, great. And he looks at my wall, and he says, yeah, you know what? You might want to do this. Or are you using that piece? Because I need it. Oh, are you using that? Now, here, let me show you this truth and how it worked out in Nehemiah's time. Um, it says in, uh, yeah, I'll go to three. Eight. It's really cool. Thirty-five times in Nehemiah, it says they worked next to. They worked next to them, next to him. And then after that was so-and-so, and after them was so-and-so. The idea of the wall being built in Jerusalem was that it was all going up at the same time, all interlocked. Thirty-five times it says that. I had it written down. I can't find them. Um, just trust me. It's 35 times you'll find it in there somewhere. And the idea was that everybody was working. There were no professional wall builders for Jerusalem. There wasn't like, okay, the wall needs to be rebuilt. Let's go hire the best wall building wall builders there are. I don't even know what you call them, right? Everybody would, thank you, Masons, yes. Isn't, I thought that was a cult. Oh, wait, anyway, sorry. You can take that out of the thing. All right? So, so everybody was building next to each other. 
And, and per, it, it was really cool. In, this, in 3.8, it says this. Um, Uzel, the son of Hari, haha, whatever, one of the goldsmiths, okay, so here's a goldsmith repairing the wall, repaired nec- uh, the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, uh, made repairs next to that. They restored the Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Uh, Rephiah, son of Hur, ruled the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Adjoining this, Jedidiah, son of Hurimoth, good gracious, made repairs opposite his house, and Hattush, son of Hashabaniah, made repairs next to him. Okay, You get the idea. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible. See, everybody's working on the wall. Even though I'm responsible for the wall in front of me, I need my brothers and sisters next to me building with me. I cannot do it. You cannot do it on your own. Your wall will stand for a little while, but you will be overrun. You can't do it. We have to build efficiently and effectively. We have to build in front of our own home, and we have to interlock our walls with each other. There's no other way. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is this one right here with the daughters. Sorry, Brandon. Yeah. Shalom, son of Halahesh, (laughs) ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. See, just because you're a husband or a wife and we're responsible for our kids and we're the spiritual leaders or whatever, they can be involved in this building process. See, that's life. We don't leave the kids at home and work out our salvation with fear and trembling until it's all done and then turn around and five, six, seven years have gone by and we've like got the wall done and they're like, so what? We build with our family, with our community, with our neighborhoods to live life. Life is not lived at at the wall. The good life is lived behind the gates, gates that are secure on the word of God, gates that are hung well and just they're strong and secure because we've, we've been working in front of our own house and we have those, uh, those people next to us helping us. As the uh, worship team returns, I want to go to another section of scripture that Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 6. And in your small group questions, uh, this is the section of scripture you're going to go in your small groups. If you could um, put that up. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Those are gates. Be done with those. Hang them, get them strong, and turn around and go back in the city. Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. The gates are down. They're running back and forth and back and forth. Listen, your heavenly father knows that you need them. Where's your heavenly father? He's inside the city at the temple. He knows you need him, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well.